Amen. Remain standing either in your hearts or with your posture. Uh, and let's read Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The nation shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be returned to you. Uh, and the wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall come, and come cover you. Uh, the young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. The flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify your beautiful, uh, my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud, like the doves to the windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar, their silver and their gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, the kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of nations, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall utterly be laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will, let, I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. And I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. And you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous, and they shall possess the land forever the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, 
in its time, I will hasten it. Will you pray with me? Father, as we read these words, our, our, our hearts really quicken uh, with, with joy, with hope, with anticipation. Could it be true? Is it true that you are, are working, that you have come into this world? Father, as we, as we come this morning, we are aware, even on, on the world stage, of the, the seriousness of nation against nation. And, and, and we come with anxieties in our personal lives. Uh, but Lord, we thank you for your word that comes to minister to us. And so now we pray that you would prepare the soil of our hearts that you would give strength to the one who is tasked to bring the word this morning, and that together uh, we may rise, that we may call you blessed, that we would give you thanks for the work that you are doing, both personally and throughout this world, even as we have read now this morning. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Addison. I'm a pastor here on staff at Christ Church. It's just great to be with you this morning in this new year as we open God's Word together. It was a study that was done recently that uh, was looking at the use of, of words in English Western literature uh, dating back to 1960 till just a few years ago. And in this study, they were looking at particular things. They were looking at two groups of words. They were looking at communal words and individualistic words. So you're looking at words like we, us, them. It takes a village, so phrases as well. We're in this together versus I, myself. You know, it's all about me. You know, self-help, those sorts of words and phrases. And what they found is that from 1960 until just a few years ago, that the use of communal words has decreased in literature. And writers and authors are not writing with these sorts of words and phrases in mind anymore, but rather they're substituting individualistic words. And they're using more of those. And it's grown exponentially. It's not just a small margin. It's almost seven times the amount. And that might not be surprising to you. In fact, it wasn't really that surprising to me. But I think what is worrying for me and what's uh, sad about it is that if you mix that with the current cultural climate, where depression and anxiety are at an all-time high, where we feel like the, the pressures of this world just are creeping in on every single one of us about every single thing in our life, in the amount of keeping up with the Joneses that we have in every aspect of our life, you mix all those things together and you have a cocktail that is not tasty. No, instead, we come into this new year and we pine for hope. We read things like Isaiah and we say, Lord, may that be true today because it does not feel it. You see, our world today wants to isolate us. It wants us to think more individualistically. It wants us to think I first and we second. I just saw the recent Star Wars movie, and I promise I won't ruin anything for any of you that haven't seen it. But there's this great line in there, and one of the good guys is saying about the bad guys. You know, she is talking to this guy, Poe is his name, if any of you are familiar with him, and she's saying, look, the enemy wants to isolate you. They want you to feel alone, and that's how they win. That is so true, my friends. Truer words have never been said 
The enemy wants to isolate us. The enemy wants us to feel alone. He wants us to feel anxiety and depression. He doesn't want us to think communally, but rather individualistically. But friends, the picture that we have in Scripture could not be more opposite than that. And that's what's so beautiful about Isaiah 60, is that when you read it and you really soak in what it's saying, it is a community of glory, of blessing, of honor, of privilege, of things, of people, of culture, of the Lord's glory. And this is a picture not just for the future. It's not a picture that we just wait and, and hope that this will one day be true, but it's a picture of how we're to live today. How on January 5th of 2020, we can live with this picture in mind. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at how does this picture of the holy city, the eternal city, how does it impact the way that you and I live and engage in this world today? This isn't just hope for tomorrow, but it's hope for today. There's, uh, there's three principles that, that we're going to get at. You see them in your bulletin. You know, that the holy city is, is drawing us to, it's drawing all people into it. And it, it's drawing goods, it has all goods in it, and that the Lord's glory is filled in there. And to set us up, there's this great uh, quote that I came across by a scholar. He said, the city which Isaiah envisions in chapter 60 is a magnetic place. It's drawing power. People and things are flocking to this urban center. They're being turned to the city, gathered from many places, coming from afar. That the city has this magnetism is important. Many people and things which appear in its midst are not, on some accountings, likely candidates for inclusion inside its walls. Some of the things that we're going to come across here in Isaiah, they may not seem so foreign to you and I. I mean, we're not really familiar with places like Qadar or Sheba, those sorts of things. But to the Jews at the time, when they were reading this and hearing it, you know, they were thinking so about themselves, so about Israel. In fact, that was how they were thinking that they were exiled into Babylon. That's the context where we're at. And Isaiah is giving them a vision of the future, and it's not just them, but it's their neighbors, it's foreigners, it's people and things that they would not have expected to find in the holy city. And just in case you're wondering, this is not only Isaiah's vision, in fact, John has a very similar vision that we read in Revelation as well. And the author of Hebrews hints at some of these same things as, as he takes us through his account of what the holy city, what eternal life will look like. So this morning, we're just going to take and pick these things out of Isaiah and learn what can we do with them today? Why does this matter for you and I today in our everyday lives? So the holy city draws all nations you know, there's, there's sort of a couple aspects to this. There's people in power. So we see that, that he's drawing all the nations, he's drawing all people from different nations, and he's helping us rethink about what power looks like through the way that people serve, minister, are, are, are cared for. And so we have people. All nations come, right? This is from the very beginning. You have verse 3. All nations and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. 
a multitude, verse 6, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. The point is we're getting people from all over, not just from Israel, not just from the, peop- the, the, the tribe that, that God had called to be his people, but rather he's saying my people are all nations. You have Kedar and Nebaioth, places that are associated with the sons of Ishmael all the way back in Genesis that represent areas of, of modern Saudi Arabia, or Yemen, excuse me, Yemen. Just a quick aside, you see here as we look towards the end, this vision from the Lord in Isaiah, there's a thread that runs all the way from the beginning. This is one big story. This is one big account. It's not just, you know, happenstance that these places and people are named. You know, God is communicating to his people, this has been my plan from the beginning. This has always been what I have in mind for you and for the world. You know, Paul picks up on this aspect of Isaiah and he runs with it. He says, no Jew or Greek, no Scythian slave. There's free slave you know, there's always salvation through Jesus Christ and God. Look to Galatians for that. And then you look at verses 21 and 22 of our own text. You know, and for me, oh, that's 59, excuse me, 60. Verses 21 and 22, your people shall be righteousness. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands that I may be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. So it's not just all people, but it's all social spectrums of people. Right? So he's, he is reworking the way that we think about power, the way that we think about who is high and who is low. Here he's saying that even the smallest, the smallest clans, the smallest people will become important in this holy city. You know, rulers will also be humbled before their people. Isaiah is very clear about the standard to which government leaders and politicians are held. If you look in verse 11, it's very clear. Your gates shall be opened continually day and night. The people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. Jump down to verse 15, and it says that we'll suck the milk of the nations, the breasts of the kings, meaning that the people will be ministered to, they'll be served by the rulers. It's a proper orientation of what power looks like. Those that have power are held to a higher standard. Paul is very clear about this in Romans 13 as well. This is not news to us. But here in the holy city, we get a picture of what that proper power, what rulers should be doing. They should be serving the people, having the people in mind, so that we as the people underneath them feel as if we're being nourished by them, built up, flourishing. Such a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be ruled over. The patterns of political rule will be restored to their proper function of servanthood in human affairs, says one scholar. So Isaiah shows us that the corrupt and cruel, wicked things that happen with those who have power, don't get me wrong, that's us too. This isn't just our political leaders. We have power as well. Those things will be set right. 
and service will be regained as it should have been. But this isn't just like a simple reversal. This isn't just saying that there'll be, uh, you know, those that have been corrupt and cruel and we'll get revenge on them. No, that's not, that's not what's being said here. Again, another uh, a way that a commentator put it, it says that in that day, the Lord alone will be exalted. So that's the point. The Lord alone will be exalted. And the oppressive relationships which have occupied in sinful history will undergo no simple reversal in the transformed city. No attempt will be made to satisfy our more primitive yearnings for revenge. The goal of this vast and complex political reckoning will be the glorification of God. The universal recognition that the Lord alone is righteous in his verdicts and swift to do justice. See, God's true people will become a multinational community of worship and peace forever. You know, I was thinking about Back to the Future. This is like a total movie sermon. I didn't even think about that at this point. I was thinking about Back to the Future. I was thinking about Marty McFly and how he, he flies into the future, right? So he time travels into the future and sees what his life and his parents' life and his kid's life looks like when he gets there. And you have all these things that happen. Then he comes back. And it impacts the way that he sees things. The way that he sees Biff. The way that he views his truck. He's thankful that it's there. The way that he sees his parents. He has a whole new appreciation for who his parents are. I'd always wish they'd made a movie about that time. You know, they didn't make a movie about Western Back to the Future. But anyways, can't go back and rewrite history. That is what we're getting here. We are getting a picture of what the future looks like. When we look at that picture and we come back to reality, it impacts the way that you and I view people, power, and lots of other things, which we'll get to. You see, we're called to, to radiate God's light. That is one of the very first things that Isaiah says in this text. You know, that the Lord has risen upon you and darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to our light, to God's people's light, because they will see God there. And so you and I today have to think about, are we showing God's light in the way that we live? You know, are we beacons to King Jesus? Are we beacons to ourselves? Are we doing what the world wants us to do and just continuing to live for ourselves? Or rather, are we putting King Jesus forward? The picture that we see here in Isaiah 60 is a picture of a wide variety of people. Today, the church must be a model for that sort of living. We must be a place where we are welcoming all nations, where we're welcoming a wide variety of people. Isaiah is reworking how we think of others. Because it's not just our neighbors and our neighborhoods. I mean, these were people that were coming from afar. They were coming from very far away. In some sense, Tarshish, one of the furthest places known back then. Some scholars think that that was just, could have been a moniker for a very far land an unknown people group, and these people are coming, bringing their goods into the city. Today, we must care about the church 
Because the Christian community ought to function as a model of, a pointer to, what life will be like in the eternal city of God. The church must be here and now a place into which the peoples of the earth are being gathered in for new life. In other words, you and I are called to be welcoming people of all the nations, of all social status, thinking of of the people that we engage with and welcoming them into this worship and offering to them, not ourselves, but King Jesus and the glory that he has. Because those people, as we see in Isaiah, are bringing things with them that are beneficial to you and I as well, that help us live into the Imago Dei that we've been called image bearers of God. And that's what we see in our second point, that the the holy city has all goods. And see, the holy city is not only filled with people of all nations, but it's, it's filled with things. It's filled with culture, goods, commerce, technology. All these things fill up the holy city. It's like any modern city. We find that this city has elements that make it tick, things like technology and goods, commerce, but then also things that, that embody its ethos, embody who it is, things like culture. Those things are here in this rendition of the holy city from Isaiah. So we see good commerce and technology, and we just kind of walk verses you know, 6, 7, 9, 13. You have the camels from Midian and Ephah and Sheba carrying gold and frankincense. Yet the city receives the flocks of Kedar and rams of Nebaioth, ships from Tarshish bearing silver and gold. They sail into the city's harbor, got costly lumber, cypress, the plain and the pine imported from Lebanon. The holy city is filled with goods, commerce, and technology. There's so much going on in this holy city. It's being filled up, in a sense. There's also culture going on there. If the wealth of the nations will come to the city in verse 5, these verses are depicting lots of, of wealth and goods that will help define who the culture is. We also look at the relationships that are there. There are still kings and rulers. You know, there's still a hierarchy. There's still people that are put into different callings within inside of the city walls. There are people building city walls, foreigners that are building walls. So there's still things going on inside of this city. In some sense, it just looks like if we looked at Grand Rapids. There's goods, there's materials, there's technology and commerce and culture. All these things are happening here and where we live God's picture for the eternal city is one that's not different, but similar. It's not exactly the same, of course, because the curse does not reach to the eternal city. These things won't be broken. These things won't have sin. We won't have sin, so they won't be uh, corrupted. We won't be used for our own individual gain, but rather they're communal goods. See, this is the picture that we get. Quite frankly, I think it's remarkable. What Isaiah envisions here is a place that is full, not empty. It's full of things. It's full of people. It's full of culture. It's full of the happenings. This is a place where we would want to be. It's a place where anyone would want to be. That's why people are drawn there, because of the glory of the Lord and what he's done, how he's filled it. And we get a picture of the redeemed and renewed vision of the cultural mandate. We got all the way back in Genesis 1. Again, that thread 
tying beginning to end together. Now, Adam and Eve were, were called to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. This wasn't just a, a simple have more babies. That is certainly a part of it. There was certainly to, to have children and to fill the earth in that way. But they were also to, to bring structure and order, to, to fill the earth. Broader patterns of, of interactions with nature that they were going to look at how they would introduce schemes and, and managing the affairs. I mean, they named animals. They were bringing order to these things. You know, subduing in the garden would have been to transform untamed nature into social environment. So in these ways, humans, you and I, were called to add to, 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 to take what God has given us and to bring good order to it. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 60 as well. And this is the hope for what we want here in Grand Rapids. In our own lives, we, we want to feel like we're the ones subduing culture. We're the ones that are ruling over these things. But instead, if you're anything like me, I feel like my life is run by a lot of these things. Certainly technology. I mean, it just draws me in like nothing else. I could swipe endlessly through Facebook, through YouTube, Twitter, whatever it is, if I was not careful. The technology is owning me. It's subduing me. It's running my life. Yeah, I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way in here. Certainly you probably do as well. There's lots of studies that have come out in the last, uh, you know, so many years that have showed that technology is changing the way that we impact with one another, the way that we, it impacts the way that we relate with one another, and it's impacting the way that we feel. Our emotions, our affect is changed by our engagement with things like social media, with the news, with technology around us. These things, if we're not careful, we have the complete opposite of what we just saw. And the cultural mandate and the holy city is filled with great things that are helping us to be a great community. Instead, today, I feel like our technology and the ways that we engage with them are isolating us. They're pushing us apart. They're driving a wedge in between who we are. They're making us highly tribal. We have to be careful because we're called to be good stewards. We're called to fill. So I'm not saying go dump your smartphone in the toilet. In fact, our toilets can't handle it, so please don't do it. I'm not telling you to deactivate your social media accounts. I'm not telling you to, to just swing the pendulum to the other side. That's certainly my tendency. But to think about how you engage with these things. Think about your social media usage. Think about the way that you are, are engaging with people in a community. You know, 10 years ago, technology, things like what we've been talking about were promised to bring us closer together and to give us more friends and more community. Do you guys feel that way? I don't. <laughs> I don't feel that way. But I think it's because I've been drawn in by the allure of the promise. And the promise is actually one that's going to isolate me. So we have to think about how we're good stewards of culture and technology, you know, because that will be there. It will be in the new city, so we can't just do away with it. 
we have to think about how the Lord's redeeming it today. You know, the picture of the holy city reminds us of our call to continue to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to do this in a way that's honoring and pleasing God. And so the first thing that you can ask yourself is, is this glorifying the Lord and honoring to me and other people? You know, is the way that I engage with people online, is the way that I uh, use my money at different places, is this glorifying the Lord and honoring to me and other people? The way we think about culture and whether we engage with it or step back, we can ask that question, is this glorifying to the Lord and honoring to me and other people? And I think without getting into the particulars of do this, don't do that, it's a great framework for the way that you and I can engage this world and engage the things that, that we have. I mean, it's not going away. In fact, some of it is going to be refined and, and visible in the holy city, and so we need to think through how we do this. One of my favorite texts in Scripture is, is Jeremiah 29, and verses 4 through 7 in particular. Again, another prophet Thus says the Lord of hosts, so Jeremiah is saying this to those in exile, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives and have sons, and give your daughters in marriage. Remember, they're in exile. That they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So why do we engage with the city? Why do we think about these things? Because when the city flourishes, we will flourish, and the people around us will flourish. When we give our money to not-for-profits that are helping the homeless and the needy, those that are the least of us, when we offer them a cold cup of water, they will flourish. The city will flourish. You know, when we use our time to engage with our neighbors who seem so needy and so hard to connect with, you know, they will flourish, we will flourish, the city will flourish. When we think about stewarding our technology and the way that we engage with culture, the different things that are happening here in our city in Grand Rapids in West Michigan. When we spend time thinking through issues like water contamination, our city, our region will flourish. When the people flourish, it's because the city has flourished. So where do we engage here in the things that are going on in Grand Rapids in West Michigan? Because we want to see people flourish. We want to see people live into this vision of what Isaiah has for what the future looks like. Which leads us to our last point, that the holy city is full of all glory. I think that this is probably the most important part of this text. That this is a, a city that is full, full of glory. It's full of our glory. We are, God's people are viewed as righteous right from the beginning. We're, we're, we're called to be righteous, that we'll have light. The light will shine upon us in, in the midst of this darkness. We'll be able to, the people will be able to see glory upon us. 
Verse 21, again, your people shall be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. You know, the light will shine upon us and will be radiant so that others can see that glory. And we will really live into that little image bearers of God. And it will draw people. This is important in the immediate context of Isaiah 60. You know, for you and I, we talk about this, you know, almost week in and week out when we look at the scriptures. You know, that we, we just had a series on glory in Advent. You can go back and listen to those. But in Isaiah 60, you have to remember, they're in exile. This is not what life looked like for them. You know, this, this is sort of a sobering reminder of what it should look like. Isaiah 59 is a lengthy description of a society filled with people that are doing injustices. In fact, it says justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. So this picture of glory of the people of God being called righteous was a sobering reminder for them. This is how we're supposed to be living now and we're not. Go back to Isaiah 58. If, you're poor, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your bloom be as the noonday. See, that is what it was supposed to look like, but it did not. So in order for that righteousness, that glory to be poured out, we have to be living into that. We have to be pouring ourselves out for others, serving as opposed to being served. The city is filled with glory and righteousness which shines upon and off of God's people. But let's not trick ourselves. This glory comes from God. This is God's righteousness. This is God's glory. That's exactly what Isaiah says. Again, we come back to these ending verses in, in chapter 16, 19 through 21. I'll just read them all for you. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall be no, no more, go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall have ended. Your people shall be righteous, they shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I, the Lord, Yahweh, might be glorified. You see, that righteousness, that glory that is filled in this place comes from God. In Revelation 21, again, another picture of what the holy eternal city will look like It says that the Lamb is the lamp of the city. The Lamb of God, Christ Jesus himself, will be the light that radiates in and through and beyond this city. Remember what our chief end is. As we work through the shorter catechism together, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's God's glory that is primary in our lives. So everything that we have talked about, this is why it's the most important, is held together by this idea. So who can draw all the nations to himself? Only God. Only the lamb, the lamp of the city, who can purify and redeem what is corrupted, who can make technology, culture, pure and fruitful, not disappointing, not sinful, but it's the lamb, the lamp of the city. 
Who can fill an entire city for the rest of eternity with light? It's the Lamb, the lamp of the city. It's Christ Jesus who is the lamp. The glory that exists in this city is sourced from Christ. You know, thinking about black hole singularities. Don't ask me why. I don't know why. Maybe it's Star Wars. I was thinking about space. You know, in a black hole singularity, some of this science might be wrong, so find a scientist to, to prove me. It is a one-dimensional space where everything is being sucked into it. So everything is being sucked into this one-dimensional space. Everything's affected by it. Light, matter. It sounds like the culture, the world that you and I live in. It wants us to think of ourselves as a black hole singularity. Everything revolves around me. It all sucked into me for my purposes. Even light itself is for my own purpose. That is not the picture that you and I get of the eternal city. That is certainly not who Christ is. His death was not just for our individual salvation. It was not less than that. Yes, it is for the, our salvation, for being saved. You and I are saved individually by Jesus Christ. But God's plan is so much grander than just you and I. We have to think on cosmic levels. Again, a quote, the dangers arise. So when you and I think about the death of Christ as a singularity event, as something for just me or just you, that danger arises when the element is emphasized to the exclusion of other important dimensions of the work of the Lamb. Jesus died to save sinners, yes, but he is also the Lamb who serves as the lamp of the transformed city. As the Lamb of God, he will draw all the goods, artifacts, instruments of culture to himself. The kings, the earth, will return their authority and power to the Lamb who sits upon the throne. Jesus is the one whose blood has purchased a multinational community composed of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. His redemptive ministry, as the ministry of the Lamb, is cosmic in scope. So friends, as you and I engage in this world, as we think about people, think about power, think about culture and technology, things, we think about glory and radiating that, it can feel overwhelming. But remember, it's all for God's glory. And that is why it's important for us to engage in that today. To think about how can we share this news with other people. You know, this is why we partner with people locally and beyond. is to share this glorious news with the people that Christ died for you, for me, for us, for this world. He has a redeeming ministry that is ongoing in Grand Rapids, in Michigan, in New York, Kansas City, Africa, Croatia, he has a work that is going to the nations. He's redeeming these things. And we are to partner with it. We're to be partners with him in this work. And so I think that's why today we, it was really important for us uh, to highlight a ministry that's going out. You know, we have some, some longtime members in our church that are taking this idea, this, this gospel idea, to a nation. You know, they're going, as I mentioned, the country, uh, Croatia. We've got Greg and Ingrid Orr as they'll, they'll make their way forward. Uh, they're going to share about the work that they're doing or going to be doing there in Croatia, bringing this good news, bringing the idea of who Christ is for the world. 
And so as they come up and, and prepare to share, we'll go ahead and just transition into that time.